every time I open that bag of flour, the smell of the wheat just infiltrates the kitchen. Uh, it, it is like I'm in a wheat field. And that gives me a lot of pleasure. And that too is a reward for, for doing what I'm doing. Just love it. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Over the last two years, we've heard of many that have left the hospitality sector and sought employment in other areas of the food industry. But for decades, those with an interest in food or carving out careers in food sectors on the peripheral of hospitality have taken the leap and chanced their arm in hospitality with great success. Rosalind Vernick is the head chef and co-owner of Anchor Restaurant in Elwood, Melbourne. Rosalind, how are you? Hello, Huck. I'm very well today. Thank you. It's good to have you on the show. Um, you've had an interesting career in food, but not all of it in, in restaurants. What, what sort of flicked the switch for you and made you uh, move to hospitality? Sure. Um, my my um, professional history has always been in food. Uh, I have over 20 years' experience in food production, and it was very much a personal journey based on what I saw, based on um, the, the interests of my family um, that led me to actually take a more curious approach to food, the ingredients, how they're grown, where they come from, and what makes certain ingredients better than others. So... It, it is a long journey that I've been on, <laughs> and um, uh, after I left uh, food manufacturing, um, I actually started. I'm um, oh, sorry, Huck. I have to start again. Sorry. <laughs> um, okay. So um, when I was in food manufacturing. I was involved with everything from procurement, logistics, uh, product design, uh, through to marketing programs, conformance, HACCP programming and implementation, the works. I've seen how food manufacturing businesses work. There was one main, there was one main aspect of food manufacturing that did not sit well with me, and that was standardisation. Um, as I became older, as I was a mother of two young people, uh, a wife, and um, I was the primary home economist, um, I felt it my responsibility to know what I'm feeding my family. And I started frequent farmers markets and specialty shops. I started to show my inquisitive nature uh, by asking lots of questions. Um, I start to, started to use my understanding of relationship marketing to form those relationships with producers and providers, growers and other specialists in order to understand food better. And I left food manufacturing um, to start a business called Artisan House, which um, 
was supposed to be like a, a directory of Australia's best producers showcasing showcasing best in class um, and also assisting artisans to promote their product. Um, I developed a, a model uh, which I used by visiting and interviewing um, producers. Um, that model yielded a score and out of 10 and those brands that were yielding a score of over nine were actually promoted on my website, on my directory. The problem with that directory, um, I, I had uh, realised that not enough people know enough about food to, to actually understand what it was that we were doing. So it was very sincere and genuine in in its offering, but there was no way that I could not be employed and pursue this, uh, what ended up being a very altruistic kind of um, endeavour. Uh, and after a lot of uh, discussions with my husband, um, we, we both decided that possibly the best way to showcase these best-in-class ingredients and producers was to open our own um, little restaurant and start feeding our local community with what we believed was the best. And it, it, it seemed to work. We, we opened our first restaurant. It was called Curly Whiskers, a little French bistro in, in Brighton, Martin Street, Brighton. Um, very quaint. Um, and we started. No expenses were spared in regards to the ingredients. Um, while we were waiting for our liquor licence, we operated as a crepery, uh, crepes made from ma crepes made from stone ground Australian organic wheat, where um, the millers were were using their stone mills and putting us in touch with the farm that, that each of the loads of uh, flour were coming from. Uh, so we had that, that connection right through the supply chain. Um, we, were, we were showcasing um, smoked fish coming out of Tasmania where we visited the farm. Uh, we were showcasing uh, excellent quality locally uh, produced dairy product from Shorts Organic Farms. Um, I was also very enthusiastic about imparting what I had learnt um, and by that stage it was well in excess of 20 years within food. Um, and we, we designed that little restaurant to also function as a food school and ran classes such as food choices, such as um, meet the grower presentations. Um, we had a lot of fermentation classes. We had a lot of, um, well, heirloom vegetable classes where we introduced people to the notion of um, heritage breed product and what makes it more superior and engaged with specialists such as um, Angus Stewart uh, who came in and, and did uh, an in-conversation 
um, at at the food school. Uh, we had Sharon Flynn come in and run a workshop with me um, for a very large audience, uh, as many as many people as we could fit uh, on the seats, um, and and she was she was talking about fermentation and the product and traditional techniques and uh, imparting very like-minded knowledge about um, about how to treat ingredients and how you don't require smoke and mirrors in order to get the best out of a quality product. You had a vast experience in the supply chain and food manufacturing. What, what surprised you about that move into restaurants and and f- facing sort of consumers in that way? Oh, a lot. Um, I, I do. You're correct. I, I have a master's degree in supply chain from Monash University. Uh, I completed that and continued working in the food uh, manufacturing uh, industry. Um, I guess coming into uh, the hospitality scene with two young children was no walk in the park. Uh, we needed to be close to where we, where we were living. Um, we found a, a small, the only thing we could find was a small shop. It um, was not food ready. So not only were we not particularly um, experienced in running hospitality, although we had dined out a lot, um, we had to to actually build, rebuild um, an office space and convert it into a, a small little bistro. Uh, it was within a, a newly developed building which had concrete floors, concrete walls and a concrete ceiling. Uh, we had to um, do everything from building a second toilet, which meant uh, having the floors x-rayed uh, to make sure that the drilling didn't go through any existing um, structural <laughs> beams, um, through to um, putting in three-phase three power, um, designing the whole, the whole space, with, with our um, intention of having the food school uh, as well as running a restaurant. It, it was challenging. Uh, it was also very expensive. Um, but I'm very grateful for having had that experience. Uh, I definitely drew on my uh, prior experience of food manufacturing, so I, I knew how to... Um, how to fulfil all of the requirements of um, the Food Safety Act. Um, I knew how to handle the food. Um, I deliberately did not build any cool rooms, um, even though we we did have uh, a storage area. Um, That was all part of the philosophy. Um, I had market visits every day. Uh, that it included farmers' market visits on Saturdays. I continued that right through my time at Curly Whiskers. Um, so we we opened Curly. Um, we feel like well, we felt like we were throwing ourselves into the deep end. Um, very different uh, to, <laughs> to um, my prior prior experience. Um, we're fortunate in that 
we were we were very quickly discovered by many local discerning customers who liked our space, who liked what we were doing, and who actually found the food delicious. Uh, at the beginning, we we were quite uh, vocal about imparting our, our knowledge of the food, of the ingredients, of the producers, um, but we toned that down a little bit um, over time and learnt that the majority of people were coming in for the good food. They weren't coming in for the stories. So we saved those stories for... Um, our social media campaigns. Uh, we also saved the stories for our specialty events, uh, which we ran for the food school. And also when customers showed their interest, that's when we would come to life <laughs> and tell those stories that, that drove us to do what we were doing. I want to get into what you've done since then, and of course, Anchor Restaurant as well. But you mentioned um, family and ingredients and inspiration when you were young. What, what sort of role did food play in your family when you were young? Um, I, I'm heavily influenced by my late grandfather, Sam. Uh, he was a very social individual, uh, and he really loved people, and he really loved food. Um, and my, my most vivid childhood memories are always to do with him teaching me how to julienne carrots, uh, with him teaching me about different um, traditional, uh, traditional dishes that he had learned from his friends um, who he had met on his travels through the whole world. He, he loved... Uh, Turkish food, Lebanese food, Greek food. Um, he he loved he loved everything. He was positive, and he just um, was very good at making friends and learning from others. He knew many languages, um, and I had many many fond um, memories with him traveling to other parts of Victoria uh, to pick up, for example. Um, Persian spices from Preston Market, um, or or travelling to uh, travelling a very far distance to the base of the Dandenong Ranges, where uh, maybe 30 years ago there used to be a little market. Um, I actually don't even know if it was a farmer's market or not, but we used to travel there because somebody was bringing over leatherwood honey from Tasmania, and my grandfather would take me to go and pick up that leatherwood honey because he assessed it as being very good. Um, so I, I feel like my childhood was enriched by, by his influence, um, his, his passions. Um, too many, too many uh, weekends I was at his home and uh, we would always be either hosting his friends and I would be helping him to prepare all the dishes or we would be sitting in front of the telly watching David Attenborough. And to this day, David Attenborough is one of my biggest heroes, uh, one of my biggest influences. Um, he, he answers a lot of my um, 
inquiries, a lot of my um, my interest in life and in nature. So that that's my <laughs> my memory, and, and I think what has influenced me the greatest to to do what I'm doing now. These days you have Anchor Restaurant and it's in the former site of uh, Dandelion Award-winning restaurant. Um, tell us about how you uh, eventuated to find that site and, and create that there. Oh, that's a very exciting story. Um, so um, the Anchor Restaurant is formerly Dandelion. It's only a, approximately a kilometre and a half away from our previous restaurant in Brighton. Um, when Dandelion first opened uh, just over 10 years ago, it, it was our favourite restaurant. Our children were young, um, so we only had limited date night time. Uh, and we would, we would very frequently walk down and uh, we never had a booking. We never knew when we could get here. We would always sit on one of the high, high chairs up the front. Um, and we absolutely loved the food. Um, we loved the action that we saw um, behind the open kitchen when Jeff was, was in the kitchen uh, doing his wizardry. Um, and uh, it was a, a long-time favourite of ours. And then we became busy with, with our own restaurant and uh, we weren't eating out as much. Uh, and approximately uh, maybe a year or so ago, um, we had a diner who started coming uh, fairly frequently to Curly, and uh, one one day just before he left, he pulled me aside. He pulled me out of the kitchen and said, "I, I need to talk to you." And um, this customer, um, he he said, "Look, I, I've just heard some gossip. Um, I've just heard that Jeff's about to sell Dandelion. You have to get it. You have." to open there because what you're doing is really missing from from Elwood. Please consider. And uh, of, of course, I came home and um, I spoke with my husband, Oliver, and said, this is what uh, our customer told me. And um, much to my surprise, Oliver said, you know what? I think it's time for us to go to a bigger venue. Uh, if you're If you're comfortable with this, contact Jeff and uh, have a chat. And it all started from there. We, we started negotiating. We started talking and dreaming and planning. Of course, this was right in the heart of COVID. It was right uh, amidst, once we started serious discussions with Jeff, it was already full-blown lockdown. Um, but the opportunity was, um, was very great for us. Um, we absolutely love the space. Um, the kitchen, uh, I call it my playground. It's much bigger. I have the opportunity to have uh, a, a very, um, very good, dedicated, larger team working with me. Um, I, I do now have cool rooms, but that's only because of the volume of, of stock that we now have to have. <laughs> um, we have a bar. Uh, and uh, it's just a, a really lovely progression from where we started, where, where we actually proved to ourselves and the local community that we have something special to offer. 
How did it feel uh, taking on a new site during that period of time with the uncertainty of COVID? Have you approached this business differently to um, what you had with Curly Whiskers? Um, perhaps we were a bit overly optimistic um, or, or maybe it's just um, that we felt like it was an opportunity that we could not possibly miss. Um, either way, we were quite determined to to make this work. Um, we weren't able to open um, after we took over. We had to um, introduce ourselves to the locals with take-home food. Um, it was very fortunate that we, we do already have an established uh, good reputation with both locals and people that live not too far away, so within five kilometres, who knew us from Curly, who trusted our food and who were willing to, to travel to pick up food uh, from us. Uh, so that helped us keep going. That helped us uh, not give up, not hang our heads and to keep the dream of um, eventually opening and hosting guests alive. Tell us about what you're doing there at Anchor and um, the connections that you fostered with producers and, and how that transfers to the plate. Oh, uh, well, Anchor is, well, we've, we've stepped away from classic French and we're now doing um, a modern Australian restaurant, um, but it has a Mediterranean-inspired menu. So... Um, the, the mission uh, was to cut the butter and increase the olive oil. Um, <laughs> so we, we are designing our menu based on the uh, amazing produce that we're able to source from our providers and suppliers and, and growers. I work directly with a number of growers um, who many many of their farms I have visited. Um, we, we are getting our poultry from Milawa Free Range poultry. Um, we are getting mushrooms grown specifically for us. We're using the multiple colours of oyster mushrooms which all have slightly different taste. Um, from from Dave of Mushroom Forestry. Um, in fact, that's the, one of the highlights of my week when, when Dave walks through the door every Tuesday. He carries this big box of mushrooms and he, he always opens it up so proudly and shows me and I look at those mushrooms and they're all different colours and they're just quivering. They're just ready, ready and waiting to be served. Um, we use um, beautiful heritage breed um, and um, grown with love salad leaves and radishes and cabbages from Romaro Farm. Um, where, where when you taste the leaf, it actually tastes amazing. Um, speaking of taste, we are also um, quite dedicated to trying to source ingredients locally. And if it's not possible locally, then from at least within Australia. 
and I have been very fortunate to be introduced to um, two very interesting growers. Uh, they are both based in uh, the Northern Territory. Um, one is uh, a grower of dates. Um, these are dates such as medjool dates. Um, and they actually are growing seven different varieties of dates in the desert, in Australian desert. Uh, it, it actually sounds mind-boggling that uh, Australia is made up of so much desert and uh, till now dates have always been imported from the Middle East or from California. Just, uh, it's just astounding. Um, so it's very exciting to work with producers uh, who are local, who are passionate, who are learning the craft and uh, who are utilising um, some of the, the best natural resources that, that we've got in this country, um, making, making us a more um, sustainable country, uh, a more self-sufficient country. It's Fantastic, it's wonderful. Um, and the other producer that we've just, uh, that I've just been in contact with, they're called Savannah Sun Food. And it's a, a team that are growing uh, very Mediterranean style um, herbs and spices, um, such as um, seeds, different seeds and um, mustard seeds, sunflower seeds. Um, they're, they're growing um, human and they'll be growing sesame seeds because we blend our own sesame seeds here. And up until, up until this um, grower was introduced, well, uh, the grower and I were introduced and started working together, um, there's nobody in Australia that's actually growing sesame seeds we have to use imported seeds, which doesn't sit well. Um, so I'm very excited to be working with them um, and was, was absolutely gobsmacked when I first tried their, um, their Australian grown and pressed mustard seed oil uh, and sunflower seed oil. Who would have thought that sunflower seed oil actually tastes so good. It tastes, you know what it tastes like, Huck? Have you tried it? It tastes like a slightly oily sunflower seed. It sounds so ridiculous to say that, but it's, it's incredible. You, when you put it in your mouth, it, it coats your mouth with like a million sunflower seeds. It, it's just beautiful and um, it will feature on my next menu, which we're rolling out in the next few weeks. A few years ago, you made the, the move into hospitality. What, what sort of impact has, has that change had on you? Uh, it's been a real eye-opener. Uh, hospitality is extremely demanding. It's a demanding industry. Uh, it's very taxing um, on your life. So you have to really love what you're doing <laughs> to, to do it properly and to do it um, in the long term. Um, it's very rewarding as well. When guests come in and I can, I can serve them something that's delicious and nutritious and I can see that it lifts their mood. 
and I can see that it um, inspires them to go and um, source ingredients that they wouldn't normally get or, or better quality ingredients. Um, that's a big reward for me. Uh, to, see, to see people um, sitting around a table with their friends and uh, engage in conversation and then be completely, um, completely unable to say a word after their first mouthful because they just love it. Uh, that's very rewarding. Uh, what's not quite as rewarding are the injuries. Um, <laughs> uh, up until up until I entered kitchen life, I actually always wondered why is it that chefs have tattoo sleeves. I I couldn't understand why so many chefs have sleeves made of tattoo. Uh, and when you look at my arms, when you look at my wrists and my hands, you you could possibly even forgive me for contemplating <laughs> the idea <laughs> a lot of a lot of scars uh, and every scar uh, to tell the story uh, of either stupidity or accident <laughs> you made the move into hospitality to have a greater impact and and share that connection with producers and um, with food do you have any stories of the impact that that you have made on on your customers? Um, yes. Um, my stories uh, in that regard would be people coming in and seeing ingredients on their plate uh, that have been possibly enhanced by light cooking or the addition of some spices that they may or may not have ever tried. Um, and when they are inquisitive and they ask, what is that? It tastes a little bit like a radish, but it, it looks unbelievable. Um, what is it or what have you done with it? And I can then explain to them it's a, it's a heritage watermelon radish um, and it's grown by Romaro Farm uh, and it, it's perfect with a little bit of olive oil and, and sea salt and a, a squeeze of lemon. Um, it it's a very nice story to then know that they will ask me either where they can get it from or they come back and ask for, for that to feature on their plate again. Um, it's also a, a great pleasure when guests come in and they're expecting a, a certain product on the menu or a certain dish on the menu and it's unavailable. And uh, sometimes they're disappointed. They might ask. I really wanted uh, halloumi. I really wanted your goat halloumi. It's very good, and I brought my friends to try it, but it's not on your menu. Uh, is everything okay? And it actually um, gives me great delight to explain to them that um, our goat halloumi comes from a, a single herd goat farm where they've got 36 goats, and they hand make all of their cheeses. Um, and actually halloumi is unavailable during um, milking season. It is therefore seasonal and will not feature on the menu. So I'm very sorry. Please come back in three months <laughs> and uh, I, I, will, I will gladly <laughs> um, um, cook you up this halloumi. <laughs> what do you love about what you do? 
I love delighting my guests with very good food. I love facilitating really delicious food experiences. I love the idea of people coming to my venue and feeling the way I felt the first time I went to a, a restaurant such as Rosetta when it was um, under the direction of Brendan Sheldrick, where, where when I tried his food, tears swelled up in my eyes, where it was the most humbling and unbelievable food experience. And I'm always trying to emulate that um, and always hoping that my guests um, in, in the restaurant will have a similar experience where everything they put in their mouth is really tasty and very moving. Um, I'm not the kind of chef who, who wants to um, create theatre, even though there's plenty of theatre. We have an open bar, we have a barman that, that's great with cocktails, we have an open kitchen and there are constantly flames going and there's constantly noise of sizzling and there's, there's constantly banter between uh, myself and the other chefs. It, it all makes for a little bit of natural theatre in a restaurant, but that's not what I'm about. I'm about what's on the plate. Um, uh, another uh, incredible uh, experience that really moved me, really shaped me, was one time where I was a guest uh, of Guy Grossi uh, at Grossi Florentino. It was an industry dinner, and he came out to introduce um, the dishes that they had prepared for us. And when he started talking, um, he started to explain how the bread, the humble bread that was in front of us, um, how he goes about making it. And I will never forget uh, the light bulb moment when Guy said, when we start to run out of this wheat flour, I call the grain grower and I say, uh, I don't remember the name of him, Let's say Jason because that's my grain grower. Um, <laughs> he says, Jason, um, we're going to need a, another three bags of, of the flour. And Jason will take the, the wheat, he will mill it, and then the next day it's on the doorstep of the restaurant and it's made into that incredible bread that I was served. And... It was at that point, you know, people have the expression, the penny dropped. And I think that was one of the biggest instigators of, of my personal um, notion that, that this is really um, a, a special way of looking at food and that going to a restaurant can be a real experience. And I wanted to be like Guy Grossi and... I, I um, take great pride in, in calling Jason from Turong Farm now and ordering his wheat and chatting to him about 
which wheat would be best for our flatbread and which wheat would be best for our pasta. And I don't care how much he's going to charge me because I know he will charge me a fair price. But I also know that I will be using the best flour. And you know what, Huck? Every time I open that bag of flour, the smell of the wheat just infiltrates the kitchen. Uh, it, it is like I'm in a wheat field. And that gives me a lot of pleasure. And that too is a reward for, for doing what I'm doing. Just love it. Rosalind, it's amazing what you've created, and I know there's so much more to talk about. Perhaps we can catch up again down the track a little bit more. Um, please keep in touch, and uh, we'll catch up again soon. Thank you so much, Huck. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.